Amen. Bless the worship team one more time. This is really great this morning. Amen. Let's stand if you're not already for the reading of God's word. We do that around here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Today we're talking about out of darkness, light. And uh, you'll understand that hopefully in a, in a few minutes as we approach God's word. Paul writing to the church at Corinth and... Uh, he says in verse 6, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. Everybody say out of darkness. Who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And how did he do that? In the face of Jesus Christ. We know that uh, in Genesis the books of, of, of beginning, the book of beginning, uh, the second verse talks about darkness. It says the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. Now, anytime there's darkness going on, the Spirit of God is right there. It says the Spirit of God was doing what? It was hovering over the face of the waters. But then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Why was there light when God said, let there be light? Because God said it. The Bible says, the entrance of thy word bringeth light. God's word brings light. Light brings revelation. It brings more than just illumination. And then look in verse 4, and God saw the light, that it was good. Now, see, when you are surrounded or you are influenced or you are affected by darkness, you got to see the light. And when you see, you got, you, in other words, that's all God can see is light. God saw the light, and it was good, and then he divided the light from the darkness. Sometimes we don't understand that, that, that God's word itself God's spoken word is what brings the light um, Isaiah chapter 42 verse 7 and 8 and then we'll we'll pray and let you be seated now here he again talks about darkness and, and it's, it describes this to open blinded eyes he's talking about the Messiah he's talking about Jesus and Isaiah is prophesying about this Messiah that's to come and he says he will bring out prisoners from the prison and then he says, those who sit, where? See, because when you're in darkness, that's what you do. You just sit because you can't see. Those who sit in darkness from the prison house, darkness is a prison. He says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Sometimes people take this verse to try to make it say something that God's not saying. He says, my glory I will not give to another, but you're not another. You understand? You're his. In other words, I could say to my wife, my, my affection, my intimacy, I will not give to another. But that means I've given it to her because she's not another. You understand? So that's what God's saying when he says, my glory I will not give to another. The Bible talks about that we are, we, is Christ in us. That's the hope of glory. So, Father, we 
give you praise today. And we thank you for the revelation and the illumination of your word. Let your word do what it does. Drive out the darkness. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Turn around and shake somebody's hand. Welcome them to Grace Point Church this morning. Tell them you're glad to see them. Now listen to me. I'm going to go ahead and give you the big idea right up front, okay? Thank you, Mima. And uh, I was really amazed this week as I looked up the word darkness. It appears over 300 times in Scripture. The Bible has a lot to say, both Old and New Testament, about darkness. And it has a lot to say about how God has, through his salvation that he has gifted to us he brings us out of darkness and into his what his marvelous light it says that we're not children of darkness any longer but we are the children of light we are the light of the world as he was the light of the world because he's in us and we're in him but listen to me I don't know all week I've just felt this and there's been times in my life that I have felt like that I was in darkness. You can call it depression. You can call it oppression. You, you can call it whatever you want to do. But a lot of times, the difficulty we have is we don't understand what darkness really is. Uh, listen to me. Darkness is not a thing. Darkness is the absence of a thing. If you look up the word darkness in the dictionary, it means the absence of light. So darkness is not some entity, entity in itself. Darkness is just revealing to us that there's something missing, that there's something absent. And, and so you, you've got to understand that because if you don't, let me tell you what you're going to do. You're going to spend a lot of time battling darkness when you don't have to. You're going to go to years of counseling, and they're going to talk to you about the darkness or the depression or the cloud. So whatever that's going on in your life, and it's all futile and a waste of time. How many knows that when, when, when we walked into this room, the, per, the, per, the first person in here today did not have to come down to the altar and pray that the darkness would leave so they could cut the lights on. They didn't have to negotiate with the darkness. They didn't have to talk to the darkness. They didn't have to rebuke the darkness. They didn't even have to say the word darkness. All they had to do was turn on the light, and the light dispelled or displaced the darkness. Because darkness is just the, ab the, the absence of light. And so you, you can say depression or whatever you're going on. And I know, listen to me, uh, those things are revealing something to us. Whatever the darkness is. I don't know who I'm going, you know, talking to today. We've all faced times where, listen, you feel like, I know years ago it was such more of a struggle for me. I'm a person that has visited depression more times than I care to talk about. And if you need a tour back there, I still know where it's at. I can lead the, I can lead the tour. But the, that darkness that, over, that seems like it's so real, let's see, light has speed. Light can be measured. The speed of light. You've never heard anybody say the speed of darkness. Because darkness don't have a speed. Darkness is not your problem. Depression is not your problem. 
It's revealing to you your problem. The darkness that you're battling with, whatever it is that's going on that's making you have no hope is just the absence of something that should be present. How many people are hurting today? How many Christians are hurting because of the absence of something that should be there? See, light can be measured. There can be increased light. But darkness can't be. The speed of light is moving. It's, 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 it's active. Darkness is just revealing to us light is absent. If the interest of thy word brings light, then it's showing you that when any time we get to the place in our life, regardless of what's going on, that we lose hope. It's showing us that there's something missing. There's something you don't know. There's something absent in your life. And so you can, you can waste a lot of time talking about darkness as if it's an entity in itself, but it's not. You can waste a lot of years counseling and and a lot of times we, we, we counsel things that don't need to be counseled. I believe in counseling and helping people. But the whole reason that we do counseling or someone talks to you is to bring light or bring revelation to a dark place in your life. And, and so you, you got to understand that. And, and I will tell you something else that goes on. Sometimes in my life when I look back, some of the darkest times in my life although God didn't cause them. In other words, there was something that I believed that was not true. There was the absence of truth. There was the absence of revelation. There was the absence of something in my life. But yet out of that came great things. I remember one of the darkest times in my life, one of the deepest depression times of my life and uh, back in 1985, and where I had a medical doctor, I won't go into that whole story, but I had a medical doctor look at me with my, with my dad by my side and tell me that at 26 years old that I would physically die if I didn't break out of the problem I was in. The depression I was in, the, 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 the downward spiral, he called it. And he actually said, do you understand me? Pointed his finger at me, I'll never forget. He said, do you understand me? You understand me, Dale. You're gonna, I'm telling you as a medical doctor, you will physically die if you don't break out of this. And I was thinking, man, if I knew how to break out, I'd already broke out. But there was so much about what I'm trying to talk to you about today that I didn't understand. I was trying to battle the darkness, negotiate with the darkness, resist the darkness, when all I had to do was get the light on get the revelation. I need somebody to tell me the truth about God, about myself, and about my future. Some good things came out of it. I remember going into that months in my life being real, uh, I don't know if you'll, some of you will understand this, but real churchy. And I love the church. But I mean, I thought our denomination that I was in at that time was going to make up about 90% of heaven. I really did. I would ride by people's churches and see them, you know, coming out, you know, whatever, and just feel sorry for them. Like, bless their hearts. They're so dumb, or they don't know, or they're so ignorant, or they don't believe in this, or they don't believe in that. Boy, when I came out of that, months later, something happened in my heart. 
loved everybody, realized God's got people coming from every stream. Amen? It's just, it's amazing. Now, I, I call that I went on God's autopsy table. <laughs> he took out what he wanted to take out and left in what he wanted to leave in. I don't want to do it again. And he wasn't the one that was causing the, the despair, the hopelessness. But what the enemy means for harm. Anybody in here old enough to remember a camera that actually you had to load film in? <laughs> I, I do have some comrades in here. And what did they do with that film? They carried it to a dark room. It was shown to you in the light, but it was developed in the darkness. I'm telling you, God's developing some things in the dark places. You don't even understand it. I know it's dark, but God's developing something in your life. There's things that God's developing in, even in that hard place that, you, that you're not even aware of. And it's going to be shown to you in the light. That's a word for somebody. When God gets ready to make a baby, he don't do it in the light. He does it in the dark. That seed goes into a dark place in a woman and is hidden for nine months. If you want a seed to grow, you got to put it in the dark. You got to bury it in the ground. You got to cover it away from all light, bury it in the darkness. And then there's a process that's going on unseen to the eyes of man. And before long, that that's in darkness will be exposed to the light. I'm talking to somebody today. I know it. There's so many things that God does in darkness. The Bible says in Proverbs 13 and 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Again, it's showing us from the word of God that if you lack hope, in other words, if you don't have hope, then what you're left with is a vacuum, a void. You're left with darkness in your heart. So in other words, that sick heart is just revelation that hope has been removed. And I, I want to tell you something. Hope, I, I guess we need to define what hope is. H hope is more than, well, I wish. I'm, talk I'm not talking about hope in the world's definition. I'm talking about biblical definition of hope. Now, now hope, listen to me, is a, is a, is a divine, tangible force. Uh, it, it's confidence in God that he is good and that he intends to do good to you today, tomorrow, next month, next year, and for the rest of your existence. That, that's what hope is. And, 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 and there's, there's no darkness at all, the Bible says, in God. And, and hope, our hope, biblical hope, is in the person of God himself, Jesus Christ. It, th that's what hope is. He's, he, he's our blessed hope. He didn't come to give you a prescription of hope and then go away and check on you later. He came to be hope for us. And I'm telling you there's a big difference in that because hope is not what hope in what he's going to do or what he could do for me or what he intends to do, but hope is the source of him. In other words, he is hope. That's why the, the Bible says calls hope uh, an anchor and it keeps using these terms especially in the New Testament. Paul used it often hope in God. 
hope in God. In other words, your hope is in God. And, and hope, you got to understand, is such a powerful, powerful weapon. A lot of people don't understand it. Hope gives you strength. Hope gives you courage to, to endure things that you otherwise would not be able to endure. Hope keeps you free. Keeps you at liberty. And that's why religion hates hope so bad. Now the reason there's such a mixture today in most churches and, 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 and is because that, and let me tell you something. I want you to understand something when I say the word religion. When I say religion, let me tell you what I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about any church down the road from anybody. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about other brothers and sisters in Christ in other churches. I'm not talking about that at all. When, I'm, when I say the word religion, I'm talking about that, that, that false ideology that tries to bind people up. The word religion, if you look it up, it literally means to bind. That's what the word means, to bind. And that's what religion actually does. It binds people, and that's why I hate it. Because it locks you up and it binds you and, 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 it, and it causes hope to be damaged and, and removed in your life. And so Jesus, his whole purpose to whom the Son sets what? Free is free indeed. Jesus came to set you free. He didn't came to lock you up. But religion wants you bound with guilt and fear. Why does religion want you bound with guilt and fear? Because those who, listen, those who have no hope are easy to control. Every ruler, wrong ruler in this world, knows that if you want to control somebody, you take away their hope. You take away their hope, and then you can control them. And so I, I want you to understand something, that, 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 that hope is an anchor to our faith. Now, these three abide, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. But you have to have all three of those. you got to understand that, 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 that that you, the one affects the other. And so love is like this. Love is, you know, there's several ways I'm trying to convey this to you. But love is the tree. It's like a tree on which the, the fruit of hope grows, which produces faith in your life. And if you don't have that, that and I'm talking about love of what? God is love, that your, that your hope is in him. It's not in what he's going to do or, or if he didn't answer your prayer just like you thought he was supposed to answer it that you lose hope. It's not talking about that. It's talking about him. And so what I'm going to do, what I don't do often, but I'm going to give you six, six things, I believe, that shows that I can give you a lot more, but six will be plenty. I'm going to give you six ways that religion tries to, to shake you from the confidence or the hope that's in God. Now, God's Word translation of Colossians 1.23, listen to this different translation that probably most of you don't have, but it says, Do not allow yourselves to be shaken from the hope you gained when you heard the gospel. Don't allow yourself to be shaken from the hope you gained when you first heard that gospel, when you heard that good news. So the first point, is religion shakes hope from us, tries to, by doing one thing, diminishing God's love for us. Now, I just told you love is like that tree where hope grows as a, as a, as a fruit. 
And religion damages that, that tree. It damages that by how? It portrays God in a false way. So this is what religion does. Now, you've got to understand this. Religion tries to diminish God's value and love for you. And so religion says that God is angry at you. God's mad at you. God hates you. God's upset with you. That's all lies. Religion says that God's punitive, that he looks to punish you, that what you're going through right now is because you're being punished for your sins. I'm not saying there's no consequences to your bad choices, but don't confuse the issue. God's not the one behind it. He's not the author of your pain. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. Y'all just let me know when I say anything is good. Amen? Now, now uh, religion says God will judge you. He will scourge you. He'll punish you. When the Bible says there is, the, Paul said there is no condemnation, the word condemnation translated in English, condemnation is the word for punishment in the Greek. I remember one of the, a lot of the replies I got one time when I did this uh, blog that you are unpunishable. Whew. That'll tick off the religious. I'm like, what? <laughs> Religion tells us that God's temperamental, that he sits in a swivel chair instead of a throne, that when you sin, he turns his back on you. When you sin, he withdraws from you. He turns his face. You're out of fellowship. You got to do something and save yourself. You got to recover your relationship. All of those things are religious lies. He says that God is, religion says God's very disapproving of us. That God is not pleased with you when he looks at you. That God is actually critical of you. That God will put you through one test after another test after another test to try to test you to see if you're any good. See, that's a hopeless picture. And, and you, that God believes in your potential, but he don't believe in you. That, that's not true. Because God not only believes in your potential, but God believes in you. He saved you. He didn't save your potential. He saved you. The second way that, re that religion can try to shake you from the hope is it undermines the real truth of God's word. And how does it do that? You've got to understand that hope has got to be connected to truth. If you don't have truth, you've got nothing to hope in. So hope has to be connected to truth, and so then religion damages that hope by putting question marks. Listen to me. Religion puts question marks where God has placed exclamation marks. So religion put, changes the, the emphatic statement of God and puts a question there. So religion says, now are you really saved? Are you really eternally secure in your relationship with God? Did you get eternal life or was it temporary life? Uh, religion says, are you completely Forgiven and unconditionally loved? Question mark. What if you sin, though? Question mark. What if you fall away from God? Question mark. And it places you in that precarious place where that hope starts to be drained like water out of a bathtub because it puts question marks where God has put exclamation points. The third way it religion damages hope is by just that 
nasty thing called condemnation. You want to know what a hope killer is? Condemnation will kill hope. Now listen to me. God's given everybody in this room all kind of abilities, all kind of giftings. You just don't even know what's on the inside of you. You might think this is kind of a weird example. Adam didn't know what was on the inside of him. And what did God do with Adam? He put him in the dark. He put him to sleep. That's called dark. You go to sleep in the dark. You don't go, well, I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to cut all the lights on bright. <laughs> See y'all in the morning. No, you cut all the lights out. You close the blinds. You want to be in the dark because something's going on. What's happening? There's, there's restoration going on. So what does God do? He puts Adam in the dark. He reaches inside him, and he pulls out what he didn't even know was on the inside of him, a woman. And when Adam saw her, he said, wow, whoa, man. That's what he said. Read the Bible. Read your Bible. Y'all say amen when I preach. He said, whoa, man. Whoa, man. We just changed it to woman. But Adam actually said, wow. <laughs> I never knew that was inside me. I never knew I had that on the inside of me. No, you didn't know it until God reached in. God reached inside of you, pulled out what he had placed inside of you, and revealed it to you. God has made it for you. Let me tell you something. People talk about the Lord took this, Lord took that. God, there's no Bible. Anything God ever takes, he always returns it. And it's always much better than when he took it. God took one reel, brought back a whole woman. And if God ever takes anything, you won't even hardly recognize it to be so good when it comes back. God take a handful of meal, turn it into an unending barrel of meal. Be like having your own grist meal. <laughs> God take a little bit of oil, fill the house with vessels of oil. You see how God works? God don't do it like man does it. He, he does it different than man would do it. Condemnation is a hope killer. And, and, and listen to me. What religion wants you to do is never pursue your dreams and those things that God's placed on the inside of you, your gifting and your talents. And what religion does is it defines very narrowly the term success. And I remember growing up in church, and I hope you understand this because you're talking to a, to a preacher, okay? But success by the church has been really defined. You've you got to be in the ministry. Well, I've, you know, preachers come to the pulpit. Well, I've been in the ministry for, you know, X number of years. Which they don't mean to, I guess. I don't know what they mean. But what they convey sometimes, if I come to the pulpit and I say, I've been in the ministry X, Y, Z years, that if I'm not careful, I could convey to you that you're not in the ministry. But I am. That I'm a minister, but you ain't. And that's a lie. For the New Testament Bible says God has placed us all in the ministry. And he's given to each and every one of us the, min the ministry of reconciliation. And it's our job, our privilege, our honor to go to this world and say be reconciled to God because he's already reconciled himself to you. And so we're ministries, we're ministers, Paul said, of the reconciliation ministry. 
So when somebody asks you, what do you do? Say, I'm a full-time minister. I dare you. I dare you to do that. Men are the worst. You meet a man, and within two sentences, they're going to ask you what you do. Two women meet, they're going to ask you within two sentences where you get your hair done or who does your nails. Or where'd you get a purse? <laughs> Different creatures. <laughs> Come on, y'all. But you introduce two men, never seen you running, how you doing? Well, you do. Well, you do. Just tell them I'm a full-time minister. I didn't know you was in the ministry. Oh, yeah, I've been in ministry a long time. Well, where do you pastor? Everywhere. <laughs> Who do you preach to? Everybody. How many people's in your church? Seven billion. That's how many people's on the planet. <laughs> My church bigger than Joel Osteen's. The field is wide under harvest. You know what I'm saying? It just, hey, I promise you, you'll start up a conversation and you'll open doors you didn't even know were there. But I wonder how different our lives would be if we really did believe that. And if you weren't just laughing at me and you really did believe that you're a full-time minister. And you walked out of your house every day with the potential possibility and looking for the opportunity to minister. You're not a minister just because somebody in the church gave you a title. And you're not successful just because you told the Bible or do what I do stand behind the pulpit. That's not what makes you a minister. What makes you a minister is God. And he's put something in you to tell people, to share with people. Not because you have to. You get to. Amen, what an awesome privilege. Just get to. I see people all the time that just need help, need prayer. <clears throat> Talking with a lady this week. All of a sudden, she just began to weep and cry. <clears throat> I'm there to talk with her about her Medicare. You know what she wanted to talk about? Her son that died in February from a bleeding ulcer. That's what she wanted to talk about. Man, when I seen them tears roll, it was time to minister. I said, I want to pray with you. I can't bring her son back. But I can remind her that there's a comforter. I can undo the words that people told her, you'll get over it. What a dumb thing to say to somebody that's lost somebody they love. You'll never get over it. That's new, isn't it? You won't get over it. You think my mom, our family's going to get over the loss of my dad? No, we don't get over it. Never will we get over it. We'll get through it, though. We'll get through it. But if you're sitting there, see, religion tells you all kind of lies. That's one of the lies of religion. Well, you'll get over it. Just get over it. Or you need to be over it. Or they'll, no, no, you don't need to get over it. That's a person. That's part of you. But God will give you the strength to get through it. To get through it. That's the power. You know, and when, when after I prayed with this lady, she said, she said, uh, she said, uh, I, I don't know how people make it in this world without God. I said, darling, I don't either. I said, it's tough enough in this world with God. I'd hate to try it without him. I'm serious. 
but to have him with me, to know that I'm, he's always with me, that I just, you know, people talk about, we need to go pray. <laughs> I pray all the time, man. I talk to God all the time. Praying is communicating to God. I mean, it's just 24-7. I mean, really. Well, you mean you sleep? Yeah. You, you can commune with him, the Bible says, while you lie on your bed. See, religion kills hope by narrowly defining what success is. Well, you need to do this, you need to do that. Let me tell you something. If you don't fit the mold, you won't be released into your gifting is what religion says. In other words, just do what God's called you to do. Just do what God's called you to do and you'll be successful. God will bring you before people that you, you never thought you would come before. But see, condemnation, if, if, you, if you have condemnation and it, and it punishes failure, then you won't want to pursue your dreams because you'll be afraid you'll fail. Well, guess what? You might. But you won't never accomplish what God's called you to do unless you step and do what God's put in your heart to do, whatever that is. The fourth way religion tries to shake you from hope is by just absolutely pretending. And you don't get that from me, although I've been rebuked for it, but I'm going to keep on doing it. I'm 34 years into it. I ain't going to change now. In other words, what do you mean by that? The typical religious pastor or leader is always, you know, success story, great testimony, walking tall, perfect teeth, shiny shoes, nice hairdo. That's not real. Uh, that's not what Paul did. The apostle Paul told us that he was weak, but in his weakness, God was strong. The apostle Paul said that he struggled one time with great fear and trembling when he went to the church to minister. Leaders who hide their failures, they deny opportunity for others to see and trust God when they go through tough times. And I've been told, you know, you, well, you tell, you know, you, you share too much or you reveal too much if you weep. I realize, you, you know, there's a limit to it, you know. But a, a, a religious hero who has never had a bad day is a liar. And there's preachers right now, some of you might listen to on TV, and, they, you know, and say they've never had a bad day. They are a lie, and the devil is a lie with them. That's just not true. You've had a bad day. You've had some bad moments. You've had some moments of doubt, confusion, despair, hurt, anger, depression, oppression. Yes, you have. So don't get on TV and tell me you've never had a down day. Don't tell me that. You've had some. If you get up in the middle of the night and stump your toe on a coffee table going to get a drink of water, you just had a bad moment. And you probably had said a bad word when you did it. I'm telling you what we need to see is out of leaders and out of each other, it's just the reality you know, that we don't have it all together all the time. And, 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 and I need to hear you leave in your testimony the times you doubted, the times you were weak, the times you questioned, and yet look where God's brought you through it. Because that's what I need to hear. I need to hear that with God. See, that's what, that's what inspires me. Well, I didn't even believe, in this, but God brought me through. That's what I need to hear. The fifth way that religion tries to shake you from the hope is it just paints a real bleak, 
fatalistic view of the future. And it takes good biblical things that are meant to be wonderful and scares the Hades out of you with them. Like the rapture. That's supposed to be a good thing, right? The word's not in there, but the catching away of the saints is. That's supposed to be a wonderful time, right? It ain't if you tack on a video called Left Behind. So they take the rapture, it's supposed to be a wonderful experience, scare the hell out of you with Left Behind videos. And they make the focus of the catching away of the saints is, your butt's going to get left here. And they tell, they tell, I remember sitting in church when I was a little boy, and tomorrow, you're going to come home from school one day, and they're going to let you off the school bus, and you're going to walk in the house, and you're going to go, Mama, Daddy, and they ain't going to be there. Because the rapture happened, because you were a kid, and you at school, and you mean, and you lost. You're going to come home and find no Mom and Daddy. I'm telling you, I ain't making that up. That's what they, they anybody heard that story? And you're going to be left there. You ain't going to have no Mom and Daddy, and you're going to, because you lost, and then all you, then you got to get your head chopped off. Now, if you don't know what else I mean, don't worry about it. Don't go study all this eschatology. But, and then you got to get, you know, Antichrist, Mark of the Beast, chop your head off. That's the only way you're going to be saved then. And if you can't even got enough strength to go to church now when the blessings of God, how are you going to give your head during the tribulation when the Holy Ghost is gone? <laughs> That's what they used to tell us. How the Holy Ghost will be gone if he's everywhere? But they told us he got raptured out with us when we got raptured out. Not only did God take the church, he took the Holy Spirit out. He raptured him out too. God just said to hell with all y'all and just leave you there y'all and give the planet to the devil. I'm not going to look at my wife because she's looking at me like right now, what is wrong with him? I'm just not going to look over that way. I'm sorry, baby, I'm sorry. I'm just, I, see, I'm, I'm like a strong cup of coffee. I'm too real for y'all. <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry, Lord. Please forgive me for cussing in church. It always happens to me when I talk about religion. Because what it does to people, how it binds up God's people. The future that God's given you and I is not a bleak, fatalistic, horrible future. That's not what the Bible teaches and the New Testament writers would not believe how today's Christian culture has twisted their words. The, the, they wrote the gospel bearing fruit all over the world, and they had confident expectation of the future in God. But what religion does is it just paints the whole picture with fear and, and the whole world is, is terrorist, and, and, and it's all, you know, everything's just bleak, and antichrist, and the world's getting worse and worse, and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and I even did a blog, it's, it's been some time back, you, you can find it on my website. And I hope you check that stuff out, I don't put out much as I need to, at Dale Young, D-E-L-L Young.net. But I try to address those things that, that, that people talk about. And, and, you know, and one of the things I did, and had so many people talk about that, you know, I said, is the world getting worse and worse? Now, the average Christian in Valdosta, Georgia, if you ask them, is the world getting worse and worse, they'll go, yes. And, and you go, how do you know? The Bible says it will. And both of those is, is false. 
The Bible never, ever says the world will get worse and worse. And I can tell looks on somebody's face, you think I just told you a lie. It doesn't say that. It says men. Men. In the context of what Paul's talking about, men shall wax worse and worse. He's talking about deception and trying to deceive people. But the world itself has got nothing but better. And I know you don't believe that. But see, 300 years ago, 200 years ago, nobody didn't have Facebook. Nobody had 24 hours news. 24 hour news. Who needs 24 hour news? And all you can do is just run it on a loop and keep repeating the same bad news you just told us 15 minutes ago. But if you did, just sat there and did, I mean, when I was a little boy, you had to catch the news at six or you missed it. On your three channels. Six to seven, that's it. Six to six thirty is local news. Six thirty to seven is national news, world news. After that, then something else is coming on. A lot simpler then, wasn't it? I mean, but now if somebody shoots somebody in Zimbabwe, you're gonna hear about it in five minutes. I appreciate you, but I don't need to know somebody shot somebody in Zimbabwe. It's not that I don't care. I just can't take me so much. That's why I, don't, I ain't listened to the news in years. I get all that I want and, and more just because I have a phone. It's been years. My wife, before I've, I, don't, I don't sit down and turn TV on and watch some. I don't do that. I'm not going to listen to people fight and argue and lie and cheat. I'm not doing all that. It don't help me none. If it helps you, God bless you. You just enjoy it and keep taking your antidepressant pills. <laughs> but I, I'm not doing either one of them. <laughs> think on these things if anything is good noble true worthy of honor think on these things what's the result of that peace peace of God I don't know how many times I hear people say well, brother I just need some peace in my life We'll switch off that TV. How, this, I mean, watch this. You can actually take one of these and lay it down and walk away from it and not die. <laughs> you, you, can, you can do it and not die. I mean, I don't want to get off on that. We can all be, but man, it's, it's just crazy. I mean, one time at my house, I invited all my kids over, you know, and I put a basket. We literally did this. Well, I'm not making this up. We put a basket at the garage door when you come in, had a basket, and we put a big sign, drop all cell phones here or do not enter. <laughs> because I got so tired. Invite all my kids over, and then I'm just sitting there looking around, and everybody's doing this. So we invite people over not to spend time with us. To look at their phone. People walking down the street, down the sidewalk, they just do it. People driving. Now, come on now. Y'all got to do better than that. Y'all know I have trouble staying safe just driving anyway. <laughs> People that know me well. 
light turn green and you won't even go because you're looking at your phone. And then you're going to flip me off when I blow my horn to wake you up. <laughs> Whoo. Makes me speak in tongues. <laughs> Get off the phone. <laughs> drive when you're supposed to drive. But the world. I don't know if it's true. I, it was, I heard it last week. It was actually a minister. But said five and a half billion people plus on this planet have a cell phone. There's not but seven billion on the planet. I mean, I didn't think some folk had a cell phone, but they put more than I thought. The world has pulled us away from what really brings us that hope. Nothing wrong with having these things. They help us out, but they can sure be a big distraction. Let last one, number six. Religion tries to shake you from hope. Listen to this one. By defining church as something other than a family. Now, I grew up on this one, and I hope you understand this. But in this world, we're alone, really. But the Bible says in Psalm 68 and 6, but God sets the solitary in families. He sets them in families. You know what you need? You need the love of a family. Everybody on the planet, whether they know it or not, that's what they need. That's the only way you can even get a teenager to join a gang is because their heart is missing the love unconditionally of a family. They'd rather be in a th something that they know will probably end in disaster just for those few short years of having somebody catching you back. I remember one of the greatest things I ever said to one of my children when they were going through one of the toughest times in their life, at the toughest time in their life, I said to one of my sons, I said, it's me and you, son, against the world. Because I would not give up on him. I remember one time he said, Daddy, I'm a piece of, you know what? And I said, you are not that. You've never been that. One of my sons texted me here this other day. He said, I'm sorry to be a burden to you, Daddy. I never mean to be no burden to you to weigh you down with my stuff. I said, son, you ain't never been nothing but a blessing to me and your mama. That's what I texted him. I said, don't believe that lie. I said, you ain't never been nothing. And I said, I, I said, me and mama couldn't even imagine our lives without you in it. Boy, the devil lied to folks. It makes me upset, man, when he tries to hurt what's precious to me with his lies. You're precious to God. And so everybody in here, they need that. They need that family, and, and God provides that family by adopting you into his family, the family of God. And so the church is his family, and Jesus says, I am not ashamed to call you my brothers and sisters. That's Hebrews 2 and 11. And what religion does, it portrays the church as an army. It says the church is a business. The church is a club. It's a society. It's 
I don't care what it calls itself, but if the, if the church identifies with anything other than a family, then what that does, listen to me, it deprives us of the secure and unconditional love that leads to a strong hope in our lives. You're in a family. Now, the reason that folks don't, see, there's people that say, well, I don't need that. There's people in the world that have looked at their natural blood family and said, well, I don't need you. I don't need nobody. I don't need this family. I don't, and, and they just, but they do. There's been, I mean, there, you know, there's existence and survival, and then there's thriving in life. But even today in America, independence, God's never really wanted us to be independent in the sense that we're independent from him and each other. When God always spoke to Israel, he didn't talk about Israel as just an individual identity person. He talked about the family. It was, this, it was the sin of Achan that affected all of Israel. In other words, Israel was a moving group that what one did, it affected the, the whole. And I think a lot of times we've missed that today. We've missed the value of the family. I remember when our church, in, when I started in Sparks Cornerstone, when, when I did that radical thing way back in the 90s, and we went from being Sunday school 10, Sunday morning, church at 11, uh, Sunday night we came back at 6, Tuesday night we had intercessory prayer, Wednesday night we had Bible study. And there was nothing wrong with that <clears throat> at all. But I remember when I felt that God had spoke to, to me about going to one service and and, 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 and it wasn't that let's just go to one service because we're too lazy to come back. But it was one thing we emphasized was, was take this opportunity to be with your family, with your church family. Fire up the grill. Throw some burgers on the grill. Whatever you got, but just be with family. And, 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 and even today, we, I mean, we struggle at that. We, we, we did this at the church over the years. We would do this thing called Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. And we would pick people in our church out that volunteered that would be the host, and then we had people that would be the guest. And I had one person that we would get to coordinate that. And it would have to be somebody that fairly, you know, well knows the church. And so they would say, okay, well, this person's a host. And I know Jill and I would be a host. Sometimes we were guests. Most of the time we were a host. And so... Uh, you know, we say, well, we're going to do, you know, we do the meat. We're going to do chicken, you know, whatever. That's the gospel bird, right? So we're doing chicken. And so they would, the, the person coordinated would send four people, couples or families, to, to our home on Sunday night at 6 o'clock with, with the side dishes that would go with chicken. So they would plan all that, a lot of work for that person or, or that team. But we did not, that's why it's called Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, because we didn't know. And that person would, 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 with intentionality, send people to my home that I otherwise was not, you know, close relationship or friends with. And, and at least in that moment, we were trying to force our church to get to know one another. Isn't that cool? And so you just find out, you know. Because you, 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 people on this side, maybe we send you to supper with people on this side. Or, or, or you know, whatever. And, and, and it just, it, it, it causes you to see the benefit of, of that thing called the family of God. We, we, we're missing that today. 
I don't say that to condemn you, but I say that even in this church. I mean, when's the last time? Man, when I was a little boy growing up, and I realized different culture, and I know you don't want to hear about walking up the hill twice in the snow and all that stuff. I'm not older guy now. But, but I am saying it is. My granddaddy was a holiness Baptist preacher, pastor, 42 years. But it was the culture of that, and I just thought that was normal. But, you know, and it wasn't that he was preaching. Because he wasn't even really preaching or pastoring at the time that I got, you know, was a young, little young guy old enough to know everything, but I mean, those people, you went to church in those holiness Baptist churches, and after church, I mean, everybody just about went home with somebody. Y'all come eat with us. My grandmother would always cook a big meal, you know, and do, y'all come, y'all come, you know, come join us or whatever, come, y'all come eat with us. And we, you know, we ate in some, in all this, you know, I just, that's just the way we grew up. But there was a stronger bond in the family there. And the enemy tries to shake you away from that hope because you don't have no connection. All the connection is is just the back of the head. And we spend all the time working on the front, and all the person behind you seeing is the back. And you, you come on, and you, you didn't spend that much time working on the back of your head. And we need to know more than what the back of the person's head looks like. Maybe what their face looks like. And it don't have to be on Sunday night or when. But just I, I don't know. I'm not trying to you know make you feel bad. But I'm just saying it's worth the effort. We've talked about doing that here. Guess who's coming to dinner, you know? That'd be pretty cool. Some people, that just, you know, terrifies you. You know, <laughs> just, oh, my God. What if I don't like their food? Well, if you don't like their food, don't eat it. The Bible says you can pray over it. If you, eat, you know, if you eat any deadly thing, it shall not harm thee. <laughs> I want to tell you, evangelizing six years, I've ate some deadly stuff that looked pretty deadly to me, but we ate it anyway. Remember, we went to one place over in somewhere, I won't call the county, and the guy brought out turtle. I wish y'all could have seen Jill's face. <laughs> she didn't eat any. <laughs> she didn't believe in the power of prayer over turtle. <laughs> I tried it, not a big fan. <laughs> Give me a brim any day, not a turtle. But the family is this that you're in. And if you see that the family of God, it's not about being an army. God's already won. He don't need an army to try to whip the devil. The war's over. He's been defeated, disarmed. Now, you and I have the privilege to enforce the victory that's been won. And how do you do that? By fighting again? No, by believing in the victory that's been won. And stand your ground, which is his ground, stand in faith, stand in hope, trusting in him and in the victory that he won on the cross, that he laid down every principality, power, and ruler. You don't have to go on a three-day prayer walk to try to dethrone a principality. You don't have to do that. I heard somebody this week trying to teach and using one of the parables of Jesus, and they make it, I'm just amazed, how can you twist a parable to make it say that? But you remember the parable where the man comes to the guy's house, Jesus is telling us, and he's in the bed with his children asleep. And the guy has a visitor show up at his house, and he don't have enough food, so he goes to this guy's house and knocks on his door and says, you know, bring, you know, I need some bread. You remember that story? It's a parable. Jesus is trying to emphasize something. And the guy 
don't immediately get up and get him the bread. He said, listen, man, I'm, I'm in bed. We've got all my children in bed. We all snuggled in. Nah. But the guy just keeps on knocking. And so finally, the guy gets up and gives him what he asked. Now let me tell you what the church does with that. They said, this is how it is with your relationship now with God. God wants you to just knock and keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking. Search and keep on searching. And if you knock long and loud and hard enough and keep on knocking, and if you search long enough and if you seek long enough, eventually God might see in his heart to give you what he wants, you want, because he sees your tenacity and your, your, your stubbornness and your perseverance, and God will finally answer your prayer. Now, I ain't even going to make you raise your hand how many heard that. That's how you see it. May I offer to you a different interpretation? There's a difference in being outside the house, the family, the home, and being inside. Now, once you're born again, that man in that house, that's God. That's your papa. But I'm laying in the bed with him. That's how close he is to me. I'm snuggled up with daddy. I'm secure. I'm at peace. I'm in the house, y'all. I'm born again. That's my daddy. I'm in his bed. I'm in his house. Now, if you ain't saved and you're on the outside, then he says knock, and I'll open the door, and I'll let you in. Seek, and you'll find. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about some way to get a prayer answered. If you're on the outside, get on the inside. God's, what, what was God saying in the parable? He says, if I'll get up out of bed and answer a heathen's prayer, Now, y'all, see, now, wait a minute now. You see, you're going to mess with me. See, you act like that he don't answer heathen's prayers. I'm telling you, God will answer the devil's prayer. <laughs> I'm going to have to prove it, ain't I? Jesus comes into the land of Gadara. There's a man that has 12 legions of demons in him. Those demons beseech Jesus. And say, do not cast us out into the abyss, but allow us to go into the swine. Jesus says, I'll grant you prayer. And he sends them in to the hogs. If he'll answer a demon's prayer. I said, if he'll answer a demon's prayer. If he'll give a demon a request that they requested. How much more will it, if you'll get out the bed to give bread to somebody who ain't even in the family? How much more will he give bread to those in the bed with him? How much more will he minister to those? See, if you read the Bible like I read it, you'd leave in there and you'd leave encouraged. You know what's done that? Religion twisted all that stuff up for me. But that's not what Jesus said. The wicked ruler who regardeth not God nor man, that parable. But the widow just keeps beseeching him. And, and, and the church takes that and makes us that widow. We, you're not a widow. You're not, with, you're not an orphan. 
You're not without a family. You're not without a father. He, 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 he's saying, look at this guy. That's not the way God is. He's not like this ruthless judge who regardeth not man nor God. Your God is not like that. And listen, I, and, and if you knew that, don't get mad at me. But if you knew that, I know maybe you get tired of me whipping up on something, but it's religion that's behind it. I have to. If you knew that, you wouldn't have to go around with your petition for prayers and get 100 people to agree in prayer with you. Because all you're doing with 100 people, that we, we, we need all everybody we can get praying. I know you feel like you do. But that in itself breaks my heart. Because you don't have confidence in the goodness of your father. And you think he's like some bureaucrat, political person in Washington that you have to get a petition up with X number of names before he'll rule in your favor. Can I tell you that your father is first and all a father. And he loves his children more than you love yours. And you don't have to convince him to love you, to rule in your favor. There's nothing you can do to put you in a better position with God than what Jesus has done for you. God loves you. You don't have to convince him to love you. And so what you do is you stand in faith in that goodness of God. And you believe in it in spite of what you see. And you stand and you believe. How do you do that? The entrance of thy word bringeth light. What does light do? It drives out and displaces the darkness. Don't counsel the darkness. Don't even talk about it. That's not your problem. The problem is what's missing. What is missing in your life is the grace of God, the truth of God, the revelation of God, that that God has provided for you on his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. And I promise you this, right? If, you're, if, you're, if you feel like i got darkness all around me, I, I mean, either this is true or it's not. Now, if the interests of God's words bring light, illumination, revelation. See, when you're in the dark, you don't, want, you don't recognize stuff good. Peter and them disciples, they're on the storm. Jesus is walking to them in the middle of that storm on, on the water. And they said, it's a demon. Man, I remember when I was a little boy, there was a, some stuff in my room at night that looked like it morphed into monsters. I'd be laying there in bed and look over at a coat hanger thing. Like me, it started doing like this. I'd be looking at that thing. It's your imagination. Fear. Went out wild adventure last night with some of the grandbabies, all my kids, and one of them on me towed him. And he's too big to tote, but I towed him anyway. Because they got all that fog and all that mess going on. And he didn't want to walk through all that. And we, we didn't dare go through the scary thing. We were just out there doing the ride deal. But they had a little section where they'd be blowing some fog and somebody would be standing around there kind of looking scary, you know. And I said, ain't nothing to that. It's just a teenager dressed up. And so... Well, there was a section that some of the rest of them walked through, and me and him just walked away. You know where he wanted to do? He wanted to walk in the light. So we walked, and, and we stayed in the light, didn't get in the fog. Oh, that'll preach. And then we went and found a bench and sat there, just me and him. I said, this is a teachable moment. I said, son, how in the world you get on them, the, the, this, this plane thing that carries you way up there and spins you around? You couldn't pay me to get on it. You ride the cheetah or the Frida or the Beetle or whatever that thing is they got out there. You ride all these roller coasters. You couldn't pay me to get on it. You ain't got enough money to get me on it. And yet, 
you scared you you do that and you scared of all this i said i don't, you, you, I don't get that son and then he told me before he said well papa you know there's there's uh there's scary scary and then there's there's like horror scary scary and he said, I ain't scared of like of the rides and all. That kind of scary don't bother me. But he said, now, all that other, yeah, that scares me. Makes me afraid. I said, you got to be taught to be afraid, son. Fear is learned. You got to be taught to be afraid. You take a baby, put them down there, you lay a rattlesnake right behind that baby, ain't scared of that rattlesnake. There's no fear in that baby over that rattlesnake. None. That fear has to be taught. So if you can be taught to be afraid, you can be untaught not to be afraid. You understand what I mean by that? See, and a lot of your fears, you've been taught that. You've been taught fears that are not legitimate fears. Fear about God. Fear about your life in God, with God. Those fears are lies. And that's what the enemy uses. If you believe his lie, you empower the liar. God don't want you to be walking in that fear. Do you say amen to that today? Stand with me, please. You receive it today. Give God praise if you do. Now, I don't know why everybody in Valos don't come here. I'm going to buy this CD myself. I'm telling you, you're going to need it. There is no speed of darkness. There is a speed of light. I thought about the day when the Apostle Paul, oh, hear me right here. Listen. Wasn't going to say this, but it's just coming to me. Remember when Paul was on that Damascus road before he got born again? You remember how, how uh, he was railing against the church, the Christians? He was killing Christians. Remember that? And he was on his way with letters in his hand to kill Christians, right? To arrest them. Kill them if necessary. Man, Paul was a scary dude. You talk about a terrorist? That dude was a terrorist to the Christian church in his day. Can I just give you one little nugget right here? God stopped him. And, and how did God stop him? That's it. Light. And a great light shone. Everybody say great light. Now, when that, listen, when that happened, it was daylight. So for, it, for, for a, a great light to... to to, to stop him and knock him off. A light knocked him off. His horse, whatever he's traveling on, for a, that had to be, a, he said, a great light. That means that light had to be brighter than the sun because it was a light so bright that even the sun didn't, didn't diminish its brightness. It was brighter than the sun. You ever think of that? And God is the one that was behind that, and God stopped him from making it to his destination. Now, I wonder if there's anybody here besides me that God, that you still, you hear now, because God stopped some evil that was headed your way. God, God stopped something. God stopped it. There was something on the way. It could have been financial. It could have been physical. It could have been literal. It could have been spiritual. But God stopped it. It was on the road to your house. God stopped it. God stopped it. I'm just telling you, he will stop some bad things that's on the way to your place. If it has to, he'll knock it off. You going to go kill my people? No, you ain't. I stop you. I said God can still stop some stuff. 
I don't care what they said is going to happen to you in the courtroom. God can stop it. I don't care what they said about the bankruptcy. God can stop it. I don't care what they said about your plant closing down. God can stop it. I don't care what they said about the cancer. God can stop it from growing anymore. There's things that God can stop. And you need to know that. God can stop some things. Don't give up on God. God can stop some things. God can change some things. It, it's not going to, you got letters, it's all done deal, we on the way. No, God's going to stop that. That same guy's coming to kill you, going to preach to you now. He's going to save you. God's, God's going to change some things. But that great light, now listen to me, it, it, it blinded him. Why? Because he needed three days of darkness so he could have some things changed in his life. You understand what God did there? He went three days without sight so that he could see. Helen Keller, y'all ever heard of her? I'm not going to quote her right. I didn't look at it, but I do remember it. Wonderful, famous lady, blind. She said, it is such, she said something to this effect, it is such a shame, such a sad thing to have eyes and have no vision. That's what she said. I'll never forget it. Somebody asked her, they said, Isn't it, don't you feel bad? Isn't it difficult that you are blind? She said, something worse than this is to have eyes and no vision. And you see what she did there? She separated vision from sight. Because you can have eyes to see and yet have no vision. And that's the saddest thing is to have eyes that can see, but you don't have any vision to lead you. Without a vision, people perish. God wants you to have vision. Vision for your future. Vision for you now. To have vision. God wants you to have that. He wants you to see that. He wants you to have that blessed hope. Hope is the soil that the seed of faith goes into. No, no matter how much word you got, if you don't have any soil to plant it in, it ain't going to produce. Hope is extremely important. Hope deferred. It'll leave you with a sick heart. I pray today your heart's not sick. And if it is, I know the healer of a broken heart. I know the one that can fill your life with hope because he is your hope. Don't hope in what he'll do for you. Hope in him because he is for you. There's a big difference. Amen. Now, y'all ought to smile real good on that. That's, man, this has been some good news. It really is. Lord, you are our blessed hope, our anchor, our glorious redeemer. Thank you for unmovable faith in your goodness for every person in here. And thank you for taking every one of us and putting us in a family that we are no longer solitary and alone. But we have brothers and sisters and moms and dads because we're in a family. Thank you for putting me in the family of God where I've met people that I'm closer to now than I've ever been to any of my blood kin because they're my brothers in Christ. They're my sisters in Christ. They're my moms and dads in the faith. Thank you for the family of God. Aren't you glad to be part of a family of God, a part of this 
family of God that God's put us in. Amen. I want our uh, prayer uh, team to come, our elders and ministry team. I know a lot of our home group pastors not here today, but just we want you to, we, we're here to pray for you if you want prayer. It's our honor to do so. If not, we're going to dismiss you. Amen. Aren't you glad the rain came during the night last night? Not right now, are we? Amen. I know I am. So if you want prayer for any reason, man, we're here waiting on you. Father, we love you. Bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Grace Point. If you want prayer, we're down front. We're glad to.